hello! Welcome back to Resurrections and Adam Warlock on Thanos Podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano, and today we don't have a co-host. It's one of the problems of doing a show like mine where I'm always having somebody else on with me. John Wilson when I do the Warlock episodes, Brian Zeno when I do the Thanos episodes, Chris Matthews when we do the Avengers or Iron Man stuff, Joe, my brother, when we're doing Deadpool vs. Thanos... I can't always have an episode ready when I want to put them out. So, I've come up with another concept. I'm calling them Resurrection Supplementals. So basically these are episodes I'm going to try and do, hopefully shorter ones so I can get them out a little quicker. If I don't have anybody ready to record with in time for to put out an episode. Where we're going to cover the other characters that are important to Indy Adam and Thanos' story. Gamora and Pip when we get to them. Captain Marvel. Moondragon. Mentor and Eros, and our subject today, Mistress Death. Not going to happen all the time, but every once in a while, when I need to, we're going to pop one of these in and cover some of these other minor characters just to see, get a little background information on them. By the way, if anyone's listening to this and also listens to Legion of Substitute Podcasters and notices a correlation between this and the Superboy Chronicles episodes that Paul does when the others aren't available to record regular Legion episodes, yeah, that's because that's where I got the idea from, so... Thanks, Paul. Like I said, this episode, we're going to be covering Death. And looking up Death's history in the Marvel Universe, found out that Death actually, technically, is a Golden Age character. Death had several appearances back in Marvel's Golden Age, when they were called Timely Comics. So I look back through there to see, because I want to see if maybe I can see some kind of through line from one version to another. And while Death's stuff is a little random, I have a theory... That I've been working on with Death and Thanos. Anyway, the first canonical appearance of Death... Oh, and by the way, I was using uh, the Complete Marvel Reading Order, cmro-travis-starns.com, and ComicBookDB. Between the two of them, that's how I came up with the chronology for Marvel's Death. So if you're wondering where this is coming from, that's where my research was. Now, the first appearance of Death we're showing is in Marvel Mystery Comics number 21. Now, as you may or may not know, back in the Golden Age, most of these characters appeared in anthology books that had several different characters in them, you know, several different stories of different characters. And even if they had their own book, usually it wasn't stories featuring just them. Usually it was story like they had the main story and then there was a couple backup characters. Even if they had the book to themselves, it was different stories featuring them. So it wasn't like one big issue featuring Captain America or Batman or Superman. They would have three or four stories in there. So Marvel Mystery Comics was one of those anthology books. And in issue 21, Death appears in two of the stories featuring the original Vision and the original Angel. This was published on May 15th, 1941. Now, I don't have access to that. That is not on Marvel Digital Comic Unlimited, and I am not going to buy a copy of that issue just to review for the podcast. I don't have that much money. However, I will put a link into the show notes for the copy of the cover. However, the second appearance by Death is in the Human Torch number 5. And actually, when you look it up, it's called 5B. You might be wondering why it's called issue 5B. And I have a pretty decent guess, but I wasn't able to really find an exact answer. But based on other things I've seen for Golden Age Comics, sometimes there was a mistake with the numbering. Because if you look it up, the issue before this one is called 5A. 
So this should have been called six, but it wasn't. Anyway, like I said, that's next appearance. The second appearance is in Human Torch 5B. And we actually have that issue available in Marvel Digital Unlimited. And it's actually worth reading. It's an interesting Golden Age issue. I was not expecting it. There's continuity. Now, Human Torch has a friend, uh, Jack Casey. Now, of course, he's a supporting character. That happened in all those issues. Batman had Commissioner Gordon. Superman had Lois Lane. Of course, they were in there. But besides Jack appearing in there, it also showed that he knew, because this story is called, The Human Torch Battles the Submariner as the World Faces Destruction. So it has the Submariner. It already establishes they know them. And it's going to have several other timely characters. Some will just make minor appearances in there. And that's just pretty crazy to me. That really didn't happen very much in the Golden Age, with the exception of, like, the Justice Society issues, I thought. So I'm learning something here. Anyway, before we get to the synopsis of the issue, I want to go over some of these Golden Age characters, because you may not know them. Now, I'm hoping you know who Namor the Submariner is. He's still active in Marvel. The original Human Torch was, had a name of Jim Hammond. He was an android who was created by Professor Horton. And there was a problem, and that when he finished the creation, that once the android became contact with oxygen, he went on fire. Except he didn't get destroyed. He just was a thing on fire. Eventually, he gained control and then became the Human Torch. And basically, it's very much like the Fantastic Four Human Torch. So the other characters in here. Toro. Thomas Raymond, who's the Human Torch's young sidekick. Same exact powers. Well, I think the most uh, given reason for his powers is he's a mutant. The Human Torch actually had a costume. Toro's costume was boots and speedos. And while it worked for the Submariner, it doesn't really work for Toro. Maybe it's because he has the boots on. Namor just had the trunks. Toro wore boots as well, so it looks really weird. Okay, we have Kazar. Now, not the Kazar that we know in current Marvel who lives in the Savage Land and has the saber-toothed tiger Zebu. This is the original Kazar, who originally appeared in pulp magazines like Conan the Barbarian or The Shadow, and was adapted into Marvel Comics. Basically, he's Tarzan, because he lives in Africa and lives in harmony with the animals, and they obey him and fights Nazis from there. I have no idea if he's still in continuity, because I don't know why the two of them have the same name, Kazar, but I'd be interested to see... Because his real name is David Rand. So I wonder if he's related at all to Iron Fist, Danny Rand. That'd be interesting. Okay, we also have appearance by the Patriot, Jeff Mace, who's a reporter who became a costumed hero. No powers, just one of those patriotic action heroes. He's also famous because he was retconned into being the third Captain America from 1946 to 1949. For anyone who doesn't know, Captain America was a Golden Age character from Marvel. And he was published till about 1949. And then went away for a few years. They brought him back in the 50s for about three issues. Didn't sell. Went away again. And then came back in Avengers number four. But when they brought him back in Avengers number four, they established that he went missing near the end of World War II and Bucky died. And eventually they said, well, why are we saying Captain America was around, you know, showing him in those stories he was around till like the 50s, but we're saying he went away. So the retcon they came up with is they took two other patriotic characters. I forget who the first... Uh, the first one was known as the Spirit of 76, and the second one was the Patriot. And they said these guys became Captain... You know, took over for Captain America. I have to assume at this... By the point that they took over, since it was uh, Roy Thomas who came up with this retcon, 
he's really good with that kind of stuff. I would have to assume by that point, like 1946, the Patriots stories were done. So that's like his reasoning of why the Patriot wasn't apparent anymore. He was now Captain America. He lived until somewhat of the modern day and died of cancer. He also did appear on Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, season 4. He was their director of S.H.I.E.L.D. He was played by Jason O'Mara. We also have the Angel, the original Angel, Thomas Holloway, a former surgeon who became a costume detective with no powers. He did end up with a mystic cape of mercury at one point, which gave him the ability to fly, but he rarely used it. And he shot people a lot. And of course, we have Jack Casey, friend to the Human Torch and the Patriot. He also worked with the Patriot in his, in his real identity. I don't know if that was actually shown in the Golden Age comics, but that definitely was referred later on. Okay, so I'm going to throw a promo here, and then we're gonna, I'm going to cover this issue itself. Two hundred and twenty-nine different characters spanning the galaxies of the Legion of Superheroes, presented across seven comic book issues. A new miniseries as part of the Who's Who podcast. To handle this many characters, the irredeemable shag is bringing in a ringer, or maybe we should call them flight ringers. Who's who in the Legion of Who's Superheroes? Who's who in the Legion of Who's who in the Legion of Superheroes? The Legion of Superheroes. In the Legion of Superheroes. The Legion of Superbloggers team up to present Who's Who in the Legion of Superheroes, a three-episode miniseries in 2017, part of the Who's Who podcast on the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Long live the Legion. The Human Torch number 5B. The Human Torch battles the Submariner as the world faces destruction. Written in pencil by Carl Burgos, inked by Bill Everett, though depending on how you look this up, it might just say written in pencil by Carl Burgos and Bill Everett. Since Carl Burgos is the creator of the Human Torch, and Bill Everett is the creator of the Submariner, and this basically is a giant 64-page team-up story between the two of them, I could go either way. But I kind of do tend to believe that it's the two of them working together. Letterer and colorist are unknown. Cover art, Alex Schomburg, edited by Joe Simon. Cover dated Fall 1941, on sale date October 8th, 1941, on sale date courtesy of Mike's Amazing Marvel Comics. Original cover price, 10 cents. And you can find this issue reprinted in Timely Presents, The Human Torch One-Shot from 1999, Marvel Masterworks, Golden Age Human Torch Volume 2 from 2007, and of course digitally on Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited. This issue, as far as my knowledge of Golden Age stories goes, is a little different than most other ones. While this is broken up into three parts, it's all one story. One giant 64-page story. But they still go with the Golden Age and Silver Age trope that the first page of each part is its own splash slash second cover page. Part one, we see the Human Torch facing off four horsemen. Death. See? Death. Hitler, Mussolini, and Namor the Submariner. As it says here, Rough showed they rode over the world, the four horsemen of destruction, and their names are written in blood. Hitler, Mussolini, Death, and Submariner. Yes, the Submariner, gone berserk, also has dreams of world conquest and world enslavement. 
But from the groaning millions of whom they are crushing rises the cry of a desperate world calling for a deliverer, for a man to battle Hitler and Mussolini, a man who can also halt the terrible path of doom which is being carved by the maddened submariner. And here he comes, lighting the sky with the torch of freedom, the human torch. Now, by the way, that's the only appearance of death in this part, but death does have a bit more of a part in part two. So we're just going to go through part one as quickly as we can. Part one starts with dinner at a house. Attended is the Human Torch, Toro, Patriot, Angel, and Jack Casey. By the way, everyone's wearing their costumes, which means it looks like Toro sitting there naked. <laughs> because you can't see his trunks under the t from the table line. <laughs> anyway, they're all there to say goodbye to Jack Casey because he is leaving to cover the war for, the con as they call it, the Consolidated Press, the war in Europe. Because remember, at this point, 1941, we didn't join World War II until December 8th, until Pearl Harbor. So at this point, we were still neutral. And the torch mentions that, unfortunately, the Submariner can't be there for the dinner because he had received an urgent message from his mother that he was needed in Atlantis. And we go to the Submariner swimming home to Atlantis, and he sees a, a battle between the navies and the Air Force of Russia and Germany right above the location of Atlantis. So, of course, he decides to smash them up. And he does, to stop that battle. But when he gets down to the bottom of the ocean, to Atlantis, it's pretty much destroyed. No thing there, no life. It almost looks like they just have regular farms. They see a silo, it looks like a farm under the water. And everyone's like, there's all skulls and skeletons around. I mean, were they really have been that, been that, has it been that long since he's been gone that everyone who died there is now a skeleton? Anyway, <laughs> it's still amusing. It's actually, the art's pretty good for the time. It's actually amusing. Eventually, he works his way to the underground shelters, and he finds life there, including his mother. She tells him it's been destroyed because of all the battles between the British and the Germans and the French. I mean, sorry, the British, the Germans, and the Russians happening above the waves. He also meets a visiting princess, Rathia, who's an Atlantean princess from a city in the Baltic. Same story for her. And she convinces Namor that what they should do is call all the different cities under the water and form a war council to decide what to do because they're all in danger from this War Above the Waves. The War Council does get together, and we got some green-looking underwater people, and some ones that look like fish, and also ones that look like walruses. Anyway, they eventually the War Council decides that they're going to form one army together to take out all the armies above to stop the war, and Namor shall lead them. And of course, Rathia also stops putting the idea in Namor's head, hey, you know, if we defeat them, we kind of rule the world. And, you know, we rule the whole world, and you rule us... Get the idea, buddy? And while Namor seems to be being seduced by this, he's not a complete dick. He does send a telegraph to uh, Casey asking where he's assigned and wants to know right away. And when he tells him he's covering the Russian-German war in that battlefront, Namor sends an answer back, don't go there. But Casey goes anyway, but he tells the human torch, and the torch decides he wants to investigate. Now, when Casey gets there to Russia, his way of covering the war is to make friends with a Russian officer, get him drunk, knock him out, take his uniform, and sneak up to the front wearing the uniform. I don't really know if that's how war correspondence works, but okay. While they're watching the battle, he sees a whirlpool happening in the river that they're fighting by, and the whirlpool gets stronger and stronger, and all of a sudden starts flying out of the water, drowning all the Russians and the Nazis. Casey almost is killed as well, but the Human Torch and Toro decide, had decided to follow him to see what Namor's warning was about and rescue him. So the Human Torch and Toro take Jack Casey to a safe location, 
And we actually have a fun little commentary on the war as they show the official communiques from Germany and Russia about that battle in which all their troops were killed. Both of which they basically say, oh, we won and we kept them from coming in. We didn't lose anybody, which is a little amusement factor and also kind of a less naive view of war from that time. Although maybe it's just because it's the enemy. You know, I wonder if they would have said the same about us, about the, you know, about if it was an American that died and then America put it, would they have had America put the same communique out? I don't know, but either way. So meanwhile, underwater... Namor's reveling in his victory, that, that first victory, and Rathia, of course, is really stroking his ego. It's like, oh, you're like a new Napoleon, except you'll win where he lost, and you're so awesome. Above the waves, they find out the human torture Toro are looking for him. He's like, look, I'm not worried about their friends. You know, now she, of course, Rathia says, hey, when a man wants to be king, he doesn't really have friends. You know, only pawns. And goes, Namor goes, well, we can still use them. That can help. So he brings them down. And tells them, you know, he basically tells them his plan that he is going to be the new ruler of the world. And, of course, there is a fight. But the problem for the Human Torch and Toro is that they're underwater, and while they are in a part of Atlantis that, or room or two that has air, all Neymar has to do is not open some windows or doors, and basically water comes in. Now, the Human Torch is able to escape. Toro does not. So Neymar keeps him as a prisoner and goes after the torch, but the torch boils the water around him, so Namor decides to just shoot back down to Atlantis. Of course, the torch hopes that at least Namor won't kill Toro, and he goes to try and warn the Russians and the German, and Germans, since those are the ones he's going after first, but they don't believe it. They both think it's propaganda from the other side. Continue their fighting. Meanwhile, he says, well, the hell with them. Because basically, he finds out Namor's plans is to use these different things like that to start raising floods and flood areas, so therefore just stop all, all the fighting. Part 2. In part 2 doesn't have a full-page splash. It has a two-thirds page splash of the Human Torch flying through the flooding tunnel while death looks on. One-way passage, and the warder at the gate is death come to claim his toll. With the entire regiment wiped out, Torch makes a desperate effort to escape. Up he swings, out of the roaring waters, and his body flames as he clings to the ceiling of the tunnel. But death laughs, laughs, and waits. The torch is able to build, basically burn a little hole out to get away from the water and then burn his way up to the surface. But he is captured, anyway. And Namor puts him in a cell that is basically, he's up to his neck in water. And he feeds him a little drug each day to eventually, after about a month or so, the Human Torch is uh, Namor's slave. And the Human Torch helps him take out some ships, killing all aboard, and shows him all his weapons and armies ready to take over the world. Now, Toro also is in a cage, is in a dungeon like that, but Toro, as a child, and also haven't been there for way longer than a month, has started going crazy. He's sick. Namor does like the kid, so he takes him out to have him go to a hospital, and the kid has a super high fever. He's delirious. He's speaking in rhyme. But Toro apparently does get enough of himself back while he's getting, you know, in the hospital, that he's able to burn a flame on, fly out of Atlantis, makes it to shore uh, of Britain, and is found there and brought to a hospital where Casey finds him. And where he tells Casey that the torch is down, prisoner of Namor. Namor and his men along attack the British and take out a whole battalion, also take out an Italian fleet heading towards them as well. And he's also using his... Uh, his machines that raise the water and, you know, flood areas. Luckily, at least in the area of Africa, a lot of the animals, including Khazar, are safe on their ark. And he sends the torch to Russia 
to north of Siberia to melt out some glaciers and send them down towards Moscow. I guess in the Marvel Universe, we actually are blaming global warming, the start of global warming on the human and the waters rising on the human torch. And as the glacier is heading down towards Russia, it's crushing some villages, and we see a giant silhouette of death. Obviously, they don't see it, but it's supposed to be death there. As all the villagers are running, saying, First war, now this, won't it ever stop? And death answers them, Never! Ha! Never! We also see death looking over Hitler's shoulder, as Hitler looks over plans and maps of Russia, looking to see where the uh, glacier is headed. And he says, Think I'll concentrate all my divisions on the southern front, with the Red Army demoralized by bad news from home. Victory should be mine. But Death tells him, although he obviously doesn't hear her, Oh no, Adolf, the final victory shall be mine. Now, I'll get to the rest of the story in a minute, but that's the end of Death's appearances. If it was just that one splash page, I wouldn't even have bothered. But we also get like Death interacting with the story here, and interacting with Hitler. And... Now, just, you know, peek behind the curtain, I just this weekend also recorded with Brian for Captain Marvel 33 and with Joey for Deadpool vs. Thanos 4, so those will be the next two episodes coming out. And it's something I mentioned both of them, is that based on what I'm seeing here, and all, all the other things I've seen with Death, Death's interaction with Thanos at least, and Deadpool, it doesn't look like Death really is worried about things. Death kind of just, like, looks for ways to entertain itself. Because I think that's actually Death's view what she just said to Adolf. The final victory shall be mine. Everything's gonna die. Whether any of the characters come back to life or not, eventually, they're all gonna die for the for real. The worlds will end, the universe will end, and everything will be gone. And death wins. I think death is just kind of entertaining itself. And that's why it messes with Thanos and Deadpool and whoever. And that's what's going on here. And it looks like, I mean, to me, that's what it looks like, because it looks like from the very beginning, death is just trying to keep Busy and entertained. That's all. All right. See if we can get through the rest of the story. As the glaciers are headed towards Moscow, the Russians leave bombs trying to destroy it. It breaks them up a little bit, but it doesn't really do enough to stop the glacier. It just makes it break up into three smaller icebergs. And now they start sending, you know, heavy artillery and planes to bomb it and shoot up, but the Human Torch takes those out. But after while he's finished doing that, he happens to fly over Moscow and he finds the American embassy. And he sees the, uh, our flag, and that, seeing the flag, completely shocks him out of his mind control. And he is now back to normal. And he decides he has to now stop these glaciers, and almost as naive as his version of, Oh, I saw the flag. Oh, that's my flag. Hey, I'm not mind controlled anymore. The Russians are just as naive as the human torch now starts trying to stop the glaciers, and the Russians say, Stop shooting at him! He's on our side now! Hooray for torch! He was just trying to kill you. Whether or not he's trying to stop it, screw it. I'd be still trying to shoot him. I wouldn't trust him. Anyway, Human Torch uses power to dig a big trench and one of the icebergs goes in that, so that stops that one. He melts the other one, turning into steam and somehow not killing all the Russian soldiers nearby from the intense hot steam. So that ends part two. The Human Torch is no longer mind-controlled by Nemo, and he has stopped one of the three icebergs. But the other two are still a problem. Let's do one more promo, and then we'll come back for the last part. Guys, we finally developed our time machine. Should we use it to go back and see how Stonehenge was built? Or become friends with Hitler and convince him to stay in art school. Or we could go back in time and get the comic books we missed. Yeah! The Comic Book Time Machine. A journey back in time to explore comic books. Good and bad. 
whether from seven decades ago or seven days ago. Join our journey at comicbooktimemachine.com. Part three, the opening splash page. I'm actually noticing here in this issue, each part, the splash page is smaller and smaller. The first part, part one, it was a whole splash page. Part two was like two thirds of it. And part three, it's also two thirds, but there's also a panel on there. So the regular panels are encroaching on these splash pages. I guess they realize as they're going on, they don't need them. So part three starts with the Human Torch melting what I believe is the second of the three glaciers. And somehow, even though it turns all to steam, not water, this one isn't raising the water level. Um, I'm surprised the intense hot steam, if this is a glacier big enough to crush Moscow still, does not kill everybody. (laughs) But somehow it doesn't. And he is told by one of the Red Army officers he is needed at the American Embassy. He heads over there, and they receive a radio call from Casey asking for the torch to let him that um, Toros is seriously ill and in a hospital in London. He's ready to go there, but Casey also tells him that there's a glacier coming south over Hudson Bay on the way to the United States, which is probably the third one that the torch started. So I guess he really did start to break up these glaciers way up towards the Arctic, where even though two of them went to uh, Russia, I guess one of them was broken off early enough to still head the United States. I don't think the geography fully works, but we'll pretend it does. So he's headed to Canada to take care of that, but Namor's also heard, and he's over there to take out the torch. They fight over the glacier, but the torch is still able to melt the glacier and it heads out into a river, river right into the sea. So we still do raise the water level a bit, I'm sure. If it's a giant glacier that causes that much problem, it probably is going to raise water levels and bring the temperature down. But we're not going to worry about that. There's a war on. There's more important things to care about. And he heads to London to find Toro. And the Blitz is happening. And he wants to take Toro to New York, to a hospital in New York where he's safer. But Toro, I'll give him credit here, is pretty brave He's like, there's a little kids even younger than him in this hospital, and they don't get to leave, so he doesn't want to leave either. And meanwhile, Namor is with Raffia and making their new plans, and his plan is to use his turbines that raise the water to flood Germany. As he says, as you'll note, Germany has no outlet to the sea. With our turbines, we'll give her one. Ha ha. And they basically flood Berlin partially, and to the point where they're... Giant whale-looking ships are able to actually go through the streets of Berlin and attack. And there's a big fight between him and the Luftwaffe. And they form a, they cause a tidal wave that floods a lot of the German troops. And while this is happening, and this is water, they're coming up from the Mediterranean Sea, apparently the turbines cause enough ruckus that it knocks the Rock of Gibraltar down. And that blocks, apparently is big enough, now that I don't know whether it is or isn't, that is big enough because the Rock of Gibraltar is at the beginning of the Mediterranean Sea, where the Mediterranean Sea meets the Atlantic Ocean, and it blocks it off. And apparently this causes the Mediterranean Sea to, com- to completely drain dry. So I guess the Mediterranean Sea has a drain... And since it goes to the Atlantic Ocean, it keeps water keeps going in. But once it's blocked from the Atlantic Ocean, water all goes down the drain. So the Mediterranean Sea is empty, and we see Mussolini's Italian fleet is now stuck in the mud on the ground on the bottom because there's no water. And the Atlanteans attack, and they're fighting basically on the ground there because their ships can't move until Namor bring fixes the Rock of Gibraltar back up and uh, floods the entire Mediterranean Sea back up, killing all those. Italian soldiers. So again, we have major, major death toll in this issue. I mean, the death toll in this issue is in the thousands. 
and now Namor is using his turbines on Amer- in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean on the American fleet and uses it on New York City. And there's this awesome panel that I have to put up there somehow of him basically flooding Manhattan. As the panel sh- says, they say New Yorkers have seen everything, but here's something they never saw. A mammoth tidal wave. So high it surmounts the city's tallest building. So wide it stretches from the Battery to the Bronx. So terrific it slams down the world's most famous skyline as if it were built with cards. And then its fury still unspent spans the Hudson River and roars westward. Goodbye, Broadway. So long, Times Square. Down goes the Empire State Building. Down goes the George Washington Bridge. But the spirit of the populace stays up. Forewarned by the president to prepare for such an emergency, they respond to water raid sirens, don diving helmets, and enter watertight shelters below the flooded subways. New York City is destroyed. Apparently, the Human Torch is not too worried about the complete destruction of New York. He just says, the wave will probably narrow off the top and form a river to float the whales. Yeah, New York City is being completely flooded. Who cares? This isn't a real serious issue. I mean, we're just seeing bridges fly away, float away and buildings topple. <laughs> More destruction is happening to this issue before the United States during World War II than has ever happened since. Though, well, I guess he actually is concerned. Never mind, because he f- flies down... Bores using his power to bore into the earth, weighed down almost to lava. And then flies back up, and the water all goes down that and basically just goes away. So that was pretty quick. But the water goes down, hits the lava, melts, you know, basically evaporates, turns to steam, and then flies up, goes up the second hole of the human torch used to go back up, and basically envelops all the uh, ships that the Submariner have, and uh, ruins them almost boiling the people alive in there, too. So a lot of Atlanteans dying, too. Although I have to wonder why the steam caused damage this time, but didn't cause damage to the Russians. But anyway, Summer breaks out of his, because it's very hot, and Namor chases... Sorry, Human Torch chases him. Namor flies into the Statue of Liberty, and there, I guess, Namor realizes that he's in trouble, and his fate is the same as Napoleon's or Caesar's. And so he begs for forgiveness. He says, The spell's broken! And he blames Rathia for everything. Now, granted, she was egging him on, but it really didn't take much. I mean, she just mentioned it to him, and he went, oh, really? Hmm. But apparently it's good enough for the torch. And so he tells Namor to radio her and tell them that they're doing great and to have all the troops head back to Atlantis. Namor swims down to Atlantis, and the humor torch, meanwhile, makes arrangements with the... uh, police because they're using underwater torches and he asks them how it works and they have a compressed air pocket. Compressed air shoots a pocket of air down there so therefore the torch can work underwater. So he has to talk to some evil engineers basically to make something for himself so he can flame on underwater. And once he gets down, you know, he gets down there, Namor's down there and Rafia apparently realizes that he's no longer working with them so she's telling all the troops he's a traitor and they attack him. So Namor's fighting the Atlanteans. She shoots him, however, and hits him in the head. And she's going to have him executed. Literally, they have him laying on the ground, and a guy's about to slash an axe and chop his head off. But luckily, Human Torch has now made it down there with his little compressed air concoction, and flames on underwater, beats up the executioner, and Namor and the Submariner basically beat up all the Atlanteans, who finally surrender. And later in Washington, the president grants freedom to him, Namor and his people, on the condition they behave. As he says, but Rathia must stand trial as world enemy number two, second only to Hitler. Only problem, however, is they get to London, 
because they want to go see how uh, Toro's doing. And they find out that the hospital was in ruin and was bombed. And they said, luckily, every kid was saved, except the boy named Toro. They search for hours and can't find him. And now Namor and the Human Torch have a mission. They have to find Toro, if he's even alive. And that's where the story ends. Not what I was expecting for a Golden Age story. I mean, besides the fact it was just one big story, we have this continuity. We have these other characters doing things. I mean, the angel appears briefly. Patriot does have a little bit to do with it. Kazar is like his own little minor subplot. And Toro is missing now and needs to be found still. I was actually impressed. I'm going to look, I'm gonna look in here and see if there's more of these Human Torch stories. I'm going to have to read more of these. They don't have many. They have a couple of them. Hopefully they have number six. So that was Human Torch number 5B. Like we said, it has a little bit to do with death. She is mostly a cameo. But I think this does set up a pattern of behavior for her. And anyway, this is her, well, technically second appearance. Originally, I was going to say maybe this was a better than her first one anyway, but I don't know. Maybe I was wrong about this. First appearances would have been good, too. Well, if Marvel ever gets Marvel Mystery Comics on their digital limited, we'll find out. This show can now be found on Stitcher. In case you don't know what Stitcher is, Stitcher is Radio On Demand, a free app that lets you listen to all your favorite shows, plus discovered from 20,000 others. Available on iOS, Android, Nook, and iPad. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at Stitcher.com or in the App Store. Just to round out whether other things that appeared in this issue, uh, they actually do have one ad. It's in this uh, digital version. It's a house ad for Daring Comics, featuring a new character joining the group. They already have new and old favorites as Rudy the Robot, never heard of it. The Little Prof, never heard of him. Blue Diamond, okay, I've heard of Blue Diamond. Silver Scorpion, never heard of her. The Finn, so I've heard of him, Captain Daring, and the Thunderer, no idea who they are, but the new character joining them is Citizen V, and the reason that's interesting is because Citizen V is the identity used by Baron Zemo in Thunderbolts. I wasn't sure when I first read Thunderbolts if that was supposed to be a real Golden Age character or not, but he actually was. And they have one or two little minor features, a little text story, which I really didn't bother reading. (laughs) Didn't feel like reading that, so who cares? Didn't feature the torture anymore. They have a little one-page strip called Tubby and Tack about these little kids making a clubhouse, and they want to let the little the little kid Tack join, and he makes them give back everything that he gave that that was his, which basically turned out to be everything in the clubhouse. The text story is about by the way Inspector Horatio Crown, and at the end of the book has a feature called Unsolved Mysteries, including about a ghost who is convicted for murder, and Pierre Bassan, Norway's greatest criminal who always is able to escape within a di- within a month or so of any prison. And that's it. Our last episode, episode 65, when we covered Deadpool vs. Thanos number 3, was posted on social media at a couple places, and some people actually liked it and retweeted it or whatever. We like to thank you people. So on Facebook... The episode was liked by Joe Celery. On Twitter, it was liked by Joe Crawford, Patrick and Dennis, Out of the Fridge, Trucker Talk, Alex's Comic Rant, The Bearded Dragon, and Partesian Cantina. It was also retweeted on Twitter by Joe Crawford, Out of the Fridge, Trucker Talk, The Bearded Dragon, Between the Pages, Cheap Comic Websites, Partesian Cantina, and Jeffrey Brown. Also, Joe Crawford made a comment on the post on Twitter about the episode, saying, Sweet! Thanks, Joe. 
And on Tumblr, it was liked by... I'm going to try and pronounce this, and then I'm going to spell it, and I'm sure if you know how it's pronounced, I'm going to be way off. Tijuitunes. T-S-U-I-J-I-T-O-O-N-S. And I'm pretty sure it's the same Jeffrey Brown that retweeted the episode on Twitter. Thank you, Jeffrey, and thank you, all of you. Appreciate it. Oh, and speaking of Tumblr, since I missed it last episode, I want to get back to thanking a couple more of the people who follow the blog on Tumblr. And I'm going to try and do these names. <laughs> so thank you, Rich7604, Jacksetherl, S-U-T-H-E-R-L, hyphen blog, Edson Kappa, me, hyphen twin, but it's spelled T-W-N, hyphen decape, and Maykimmon hyphen blog. Now, if you want to get in touch with us, you can, of course, use all those methods I just mentioned. Twitter, we're on Twitter, at AdamThanosPod. Find us on Tumblr, ResurrectionsAdamWarlock.tumblr.com. On Facebook, just go on Facebook, type in ResurrectionsAdamWarlock and Thanos, and we'll pop up pretty fast on there. And, of course, you can send us an email, ResurrectionsPodcast at Yahoo.com. Also, don't forget, I have my other show, The Pop Culture Pals Presents, that's hosted on the Pop Culture Palace website, thepopculturepalace.com. Our episode that came out this past week is an episode of the Bronze Age Mystery Box, episode 4, in which we covered Action Comics 370 featuring Superman and Supergirl. We're not going to be doing the Friends and Enemies segment this episode because, well, none of those books that we would normally cover would be out for another 20 years after this one. So there are no Friends and Enemies this month. And that's it for this week. Hope you enjoyed this first installment of Resurrection Supplemental. I think the next time we do that, we're going to continue on with Death. Uh, she has a couple more appearances until we get to the Captain Marvel issues. So we'll do the next few supplementals will be about Death. And then after that, we'll jump to somebody else. Haven't decided what yet who. You guys have a favorite supporting character that you would like me to cover next in the supplementals? Write in. Let me know. If I get both for a character, maybe I'll do them next. And we'll be back in about two weeks. Uh, most likely it'll be Deadpool vs. Thanos 3, but it might be the Captain Marvel 33. I have them both recorded this weekend. It depends on how the editing goes with them. Either way, we'll see you then. Bye. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production, and no copyright infringement is intended, or happening, or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peacelovproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page.